It's election day, and today on the podcast, we're going to be looking at what roles lawyers are and are not playing in this year's midterms. The short answer is they're closing up their pocketbooks, but they're opening up their calendars. Stay tuned. Hello, you are listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So we have two stories for you today about lawyers and voting. And typically when we do this kind of thing, I like to try to draw parallels between the two and explain what they both mean in context. But today I'm honestly kind of stumped. The stories are, to summarize, that attorneys are donating more pro bono time to help out with election monitoring, but are donating less actual cash to campaigns than usual. Way less. Are these two things related? It feels like they have to be somehow, but I'm just not that sure. Maybe you can shoot me a note and explain it to me. But even if these trends may be independent of each other, they are both really important. And to talk about what's going on, we have Bloomberg Law reporters Sam Skolnick and Roy Strom. We'll get to the election monitoring in a minute, but first I wanted to talk to Roy about campaign donations. As you may or may not be aware, donors above a certain amount have to list their profession when they donate, so that gives us a ton of really cool data about exactly how much lawyers are giving to candidates. Roy dug into that data and found some surprising stuff. Yeah, well, the headline is that lawyers as a group were just far less engaged in political contributions this midterm season than they were during the last one in 2018. Uh, Contributions by lawyers and law firm employees were down more than 30% this cycle from 2018. And in round numbers, Uh, Last time around, last midterm season, they contributed about $190 million. And this two-year period, they gave about $130 million. So it's a big drop, and it brings the amount contributed by the group to levels that were seen in 2006. Lawyers are typically one of the more partisan groups of donors. They consistently donate to Democrats. So their lack of enthusiasm this season mostly came at the expense of Democrat candidates. And and it's, you know, even worse than it it sounds for for these contributions, because, you know, we're used to talking about inflation where prices are going up. This is a case where you have while there's high inflation, donations are going down. So it has an even accelerated effect for these campaigns because they have to, you know, purchase things that are, are now more expensive. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is that the lawyers contributed less at a time when overall the midterms are set to uh, set a record for the amount that will be spent. I think uh, Open Secrets, which is a group that collects all this data, expects about $9 billion to be spent this midterm season, which is up from less than $8 billion in 2018. Now, it's important to note with this data, we're talking about contributions from individuals who are lawyers. We're not necessarily talking about contributions from law firms. Those are two separate things. Can you talk about what the data shows for contributions from law firms and um, from the, the political action committees that are associated with them? Yeah, so law firms have political action committees, PACs. And they donate to candidates through those in a more organized way, as opposed to just individuals who happen to be lawyers and who tell the Federal Elections Commission that's what they do for a job. 
Uh, and law firms use PACs sort of the way lobbying firms do. Those PACs also contributed less this time around than last. They donated about $9.5 million this year, down from $13 million in 2018. Uh, one interesting thing about those uh, the law firm PACs was they donated a more even split this time around between Republicans and Democrats than last time, which our colleague Justin Wise reported about. Uh, a lot of those firms had said that they were not going to give money to Republican candidates who voted against certifying Joe Biden's presidential election victory, but most of those pledges were later backtracked. Mm. So let's get into the speculation here. And I liked your, your story on this because you tried to figure out why this is going on. Uh, and you had a number of people tell you, you know, potential reasons. One of the most surprising reasons for this was that uh, lawyers are working from home. Can you explain how remote work may have contributed to this lack of, of contributions to campaigns? Yeah, that was an explanation that I did, could not have anticipated, really did not anticipate um, but it does make some sense. Law firms are well known for hosting candidates in their nice office spaces in downtown, uh, you know, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Texas. And those meet and greets are a big part of the way that law firm lawyers end up contributing money to candidates. And I spoke with John Hennis, who's a former Kirkland & Ellis partner and was the National Finance Committee chair for Kamala Harris in 2020. And he said those in-office meet and greets were a big part of the way that uh, his law firm fundraising worked and, and, and usually do. Uh, they bring the candidate in, partners come down to big conference rooms, they shake hands, take photos, and law firm partners write a lot of checks. Uh, but that did not happen as much this season, uh, or when it did, there just were fewer lawyers to kind of go rustle up at the last minute and say, hey, we've got somebody here who's running for office and we want you to meet them. And if you like them, contribute to their campaign. That's really interesting because uh, it made me, it makes me think about something we talked about on our sister podcast, uh, Down Ballot Counts, which is a politics and campaigning uh, podcast. We talked about, you know, campaigning in the age of COVID. And one of our guests said, well, this might be a benefit to campaigns because now they can hold Zoom fundraisers and anyone across the country can can attend or anyone across the world can attend. But based on what you're saying, it sounds like maybe those aren't quite as effective as the sort of, you know, pressing the flesh and, and meet and greet kind of events where you can raise a lot more money. Yeah, that's what John Hennis told me, that the enthusiasm maybe isn't there during a Zoom call, uh, or it's not as easy to get people to sign into a Zoom call as it is to say, hey, come meet somebody face-to-face. -face. Yeah. All right, so I have my own theory about that. I mean, maybe the whole work-from-home thing played into it, but you know, I want to run this by you and see what you think about this. That I think maybe it's just because the, the tenor of our sort of political environment has gotten pretty toxic lately, and... You know, attorneys are worried about donating because all of, you know, when you donate money to a campaign above a certain amount, that's public. And, you know, they're just worried about, you know, kind of social media mobs, for lack of a better word, and, and being boycotted and all kinds of stuff. Do you, do you think it's because of sort of the moment we're, we're living in or am I kind of barking up the wrong tree here? 
you know, I really don't know. That was something that I was trying to figure out myself. And it makes some sense. You know, maybe people are just sort of wore out of the way the political discourse has gone. But I, I wasn't able to sort of prove that or find somebody who, who said that um, point blank. So I really don't know. Um, it could be. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, now, speaking of uh, our contentious political environment, let's turn to Sam Skolnick now to talk about, you know, what lawyers are, are doing about that. You know, every year, uh, election year, we hear about lawyers helping out with elections. What are uh, attorneys doing this year? You, you just did a big story on that, right? Yeah. So one of the main things that there 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 are a number of different pro bono or, you know, for free efforts that some of these large law firms are doing. They have been doing over the last several election cycles uh, to try to ensure voting rights, to ensure safe and fair elections. One of the main things that they're doing, uh, they are staffing um, phone lines and these command centers, basically, to field calls um, from voters in specific jurisdictions. Typically, they're divided up by geographical um, jurisdiction. And they really range from everything from the most simple types of calls like, hey, how do I know if I'm actually registered to vote and where's the nearest polling station? Um, those are the, you know, the super easy questions that these lawyers can field. But there are other questions. And as you'd mentioned, we're in contentious times for sure. What they're being asked to do is if, they're, if they witness uh, any kind of voter intimidation or harassment, anything like that, either of themselves or other voters or of election officials, that, you know, let these folks know on these phone lines because the, they aren't just volunteers. They're attorneys who might be able to help guide them um, to uh, specific answers. And in the most egregious cases, they actually, some of these lawyers are uh, sitting and waiting in local courthouses, especially in uh, some jurisdictions where you, you know the vote's going to be tight, you know it's going to be contested, especially if it goes a certain way. Yeah, it's a really time-sensitive thing. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're talking about hundreds of uh, attorneys from some of the largest firms uh, in the country that have been doing this on a regular basis to work these pro, bo- pro bono matters. And, I, you know, my sense is that after having spoken to a number of them for the story, that there is a particular eagerness from some anyway. Right. Well, that's so that's interesting because it sounds like there are some lawyers who really, really want to do this stuff. And, you know, I guess some other attorneys who are, I guess, maybe it it sounds like not as uh, excited to do it. Can you get into that a little bit? My sense is most are in the former school, uh, uh, school of thought. They're they're really eager to do it. uh, No matter what their political persuasion is, everybody Mm. saw what happened uh, January 6th a year ago. Sure. Uh, everybody's been witness to all of these um, laws that have been passed in various state houses around the country that civil rights groups, civil liberties groups are saying very clearly are an effort to stem the ability of certain groups to participate in elections. And so uh, that goes, of course, to other ways in which firms and lawyers from these lawyers from these firms are uh, aiding in these pro bono efforts, like aiding in different court cases. That's more traditional legal work. But here, this is a more of a sort of on-the-ground way in which um, even if they're doing it remotely from home to field some of these calls, they're able to you know participate and to make sure that things run smoothly. I had more than one lawyer say, what's not important here is how they're going to vote. What's important is that they're able to get right. into the voting booth, vote their conscience, 
um, and uh, and that it, it that it all runs as it should. That said, um, you know we do live in in very partisan times, as we've mentioned a couple times already. Um, so I do wonder which firms are offering up their lawyers to do this kind of work, because as we all know, there are Democratic leaning firms and there are Republican leaning firms. I wonder if the firms that are offering up lawyers to do this are mostly Democratic leaning firms, or if it's both. Uh, my sense is it's both. That's sort of good to hear. Yeah, well, I, I think so. Yeah, most of the firms that um, I heard that had been ter- participating, I'll just throw several out there. Sure. Reed Smith, Hogan Lovells, um, Arnold and Porter, Kay Scholler. Um, it's a big, those are big firms. Yeah, those are all top 100 firms. Some have reputations as sort of slightly leaning to the left, but most of these are traditional centrist firms where um, the lawyers don't want to get too far ahead of their clients um, or their firm's reputation in, in terms of being overly partisan on one side or the other. But uh, again, it really goes to the notion that um, rule of law potentially could be at stake and uh, and making sure that voters are allowed to express their conscience and to do so, uh, you know, free of intimidation and um, and free of other obstructions is, is increasingly important to a number of the attorneys that I spoke with. All right. Well, that was uh, uh, Sam Skolnick and Roy Strom, reporters of Bloomberg Law, talking to us. On election day, uh, if it is election day and you're hearing my voice, and whether you're a lawyer or not, get out there and vote. Uh, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks very much. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz, our editors, Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. That's B L A W BLaw. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. An individual's race should not be used to help him or harm him in his life's endeavors. A pair of lawsuits has made its way to the Supreme Court, and the decision could dramatically change just who gets into which college. Bloom is effectively using the Asian community as pawns. Every lawsuit needs a villain. To mask an anti-Black and anti-Latino agenda. Does this demoralize me? No, it doesn't demoralize me. This season on Uncommon Law, we'll explore the arguments and the people driving this latest battle over affirmative action. Can the Constitution be used to remedy society's ills? I'm the only person in class who has to raise my hand and say, okay, well, actually, here's how this affects people that look like me. Does the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause prohibit all discrimination based on race? You let somebody in because of their race, you're keeping somebody else out because of their race. There might have been two or three Latinos, including me. And so somehow that's too much, somehow that goes too far. It's hard not to take that very personally. Coming October 25th, part one of a three-part series on affirmative action. What's being decided is whether black and brown people are gonna be excluded in significant numbers. Only on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.